Welcome to the trending note on uh, this is our flagship episode and we are so amazingly honored to have our guest today. This gentleman comes from all facets of the music industry um, from being a performer in the late 90s to going into the executive world of music uh, inside the 2000s uh, to his current position where he is now VP of A&R at SoundCloud it is our esteemed honor today to have Edgel Groves Jr. Edgel, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, let's start off. I mean, I really want to give, you know, being this is our first episode, really give listeners a, you know, synopsis of what's been kind of your keys to success. Where did you kind of start? I mean, I know you're a son of the the great state of Georgia, but, you know, you live out here in Los Angeles and work in the business currently. Yeah. um, I mean, I got my start as a musician, right? So I, I started playing drums and guitar and teaching myself instruments uh, sometime in the 90s and and uh, didn't know why I was doing it other than the fact that I just loved doing it. I was really just a sports guy, sports kid growing up. And my dad's a musician and he's had a whole career of being in music and being a producer, but that's I didn't really follow in his footsteps. He never taught me a note on the guitar. He never taught me anything. He never forced me to do that. He let me do what I wanted to do. And then, yeah, sometime in the 90s, I, I picked up music and loved it. And it became the escape to get away from sports because I was playing year round. So, um wow. Yeah, it turned into one of those situations that I just I fell in love with it for all the right reasons. And music became that uh, voice I never had. And it just made me feel like I had some sort of sense of belonging. Uh, yeah. And then in high school, started playing in bands, playing around you know the Georgia Southeast area. Uh, fast forward a few years later, 2003, 2004, I started my band uh, called Sun Domingo. And we ended up being mm-hmm. on the road for my God, uh, must have been eight, nine years full-time. We were doing upwards of 200 shows a year, every year. And so, you know, we'd wake up every morning, get in the van, drive two, three, (laughs) four, five hundred miles, play a show, play two or three hours, multiple sets, pack up everything, two in the morning, drive halfway to the next city, get into motels, you know, somewhere on the side of the road, sleep for a few hours, do it all over again. And um, all in hopes that we would build a fan base and go somewhere. Um, And then, yeah, it, it worked for a while. Yeah. That's amazing. Cause like, you know, I think everyone looks to now to the getting in the van and playing shows as being on Instagram or TikTok. I, you know, similar experience and probably your contemporary in a lot of ways mm-hmm. is, you know, my day was, you know, I couldn't wait to get in the van as a sound guy. Could not yeah. wait to like, we're going on tour. This is going to be awesome. Southeast. <laughs> yeah. Great. Yeah, get me the hell out of this town, wherever I am. Just take take me somewhere. Let me meet new people and do something fun. Yeah, exactly. You know, the way things have kind of translated in the business, do you think that that's kind of the lost art for the newer musicians kind of coming up right now? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm I'm happy people don't have to do that to build a fan base because it it took its toll on me and my mental health and my body in some ways, but. But also it, it taught me a lot of valuable lessons. I, I had to, if I wanted to build a fan base, I had to get in the car or the van or the bus and go from town to town every six to eight to 12 weeks and play to those same people. And if you didn't do that, they didn't know who you were. I mean, there's yeah. this one little tool called MySpace that kind of worked, right? You could, <laughs> you could, you could put up a free song on your page. So, you, and, so you're post Friendster at this point. Uh, oh gosh. Yeah. Friendster <laughs> and hot, hot or not. Uh, whatever hot that oh, hot or not. Yeah. yeah. Oh Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, we would use all those to just get people's attention. I mean, the, even uh, there were these like dating websites, even like match.com early on, like we would start profiles, match with people. And then we'd be like, Hey, we're actually not single, but we are going to be in your town tomorrow. If you want to come to our show, I'll put you on the guest list just to, Seriously. Get, people, just to get people out. Oh yeah. That's like, a, that is like the greatest story or trick I've heard <laughs> to date. Use, oh. yeah, hey, match.com, you know. Oh my God. Yeah. We put up photos of people that weren't us so that everybody would want to match with us and get a date. We're like, actually, we don't look like that at all, but here's our band. If you like our music, come out tomorrow. And right. people, would, people would, because they were like so trusting. And so like, you know what? Yeah, sure. You were honest with me. I'll come to your show. And and luckily our music wasn't that terrible. So whenever we sent links to people, they kind of dug it. Um, but so yeah, sometime around 2010, um, you know, we hit a, we hit a peak, I would call it where, we were making enough money to make a living, but not a great living. We could sell anywhere from, you know, a hundred tickets in small markets and upwards of five, six, seven hundred tickets in other markets. Sure. But but it wasn't enough to, you know, you were making 50, 60, 70 grand a year on the best years. And and you know, you still weren't putting anything away in savings, right? And right. Was it fun? Yeah. And it is it amazing in your 20s to go out there and build this fan base and play to people on stage every night? It's amazing. But then you wake up one day and go, all right, now now what? Now what am I going to do with now this? Now what I do? Yeah. yeah. Do, I, do I stay um, the Southeast Circuit bar band that, you know, a lot of guys have done that and made a full yeah. career out of it? Yeah. Yeah. You know? and, and and we know a lot of those people and they're still doing it. And, yeah. and, and God bless them. But um, yeah, I I think one of the tricks for me has always been I, I'm a very curious person. I don't mm-hmm. really settle for things. Once I know how to do Same. something, I want to know more about it. Yep. And once I know as much as I can know about that, I go to the next thing and I keep wanting to take in information and, and learn. And so, uh, yeah, around that time, I decided I wanted to do something different. I mean, I love music, but I wanted to do something different in, in, the, in the business. And I essentially started a company with a friend of mine out of, uh, out of Europe, out of the Netherlands. So oh. he was actually our booking agent. Um, for San Domingo, and he had brought us to Europe a couple times. And I called him one day, and I go, "Hey, wh- why don't we? Why don't we just start a company together?" And he's like, uh, "Okay." And I'm like, "Look, I'll come over there, and I'll find an apartment. Like, just help me figure it out, and we'll just start this thing together." It was all in progressive rock. Yeah. So <laughs> next thing I knew, I was on a plane over there, got an apartment, and we started booking all these prog rock bands and signing them to management deals, like bands like Riverside and Pineapple Thief. Um, like you know in that world those are household names um sure. yeah, no no i mean i'm a huge prog rock fan i mean Pliny and animals as leaders does not leave most of my playlist <laughs> there you go yeah so yeah. i i ended up going out and and tour managing these bands that we were signing to deals or just they were hire us for tour management so i went out and tour managed a, a flower kings tour and a riverside tour and i was tour managing Mike Portnoy when he was coming oh, to wow. play uh, so i went out with mike and the, the neil morse band on a whole european tour actually that's the poster behind me of uh, the Neil Morse band tour that I tour managed. Um, oh, wow, dude. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it was pretty wild. Went out and did that stuff. And I was like, wow, I really enjoy this side of the business and and seeing how the inner workings of it work at a high level. Sure. Um, and then, yep, that that was the, like, the beginning of it for me. And then uh, because I was so entrenched in the prog rock world, and I knew everybody in that scene. In a couple of years, you can basically know everybody. Uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, it's 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 so amazing. Uh, you know, the people think like I mean, rock guys think in general. It's like our genre is the best thing ever, and blah blah blah. And it's like if you really look at it on the lexicon of of 
of popular music in general, you could be wiped out pretty quickly because that, that world is so extremely small, but yet I feel like people think there's this high bar to raise to know everybody in that, in that side of the world. And it doesn't seem that way really. Right. Right. That is true. That is true. I mean, if you're in it long enough, you do kind of meet all those people in small circles. You know, the next thing you know, you're on the phone call with Steve Lukather and you're wondering how am I, I on the phone with I yeah. know Steve's son very well. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, so it's it's that kind of stuff. But I I was doing that stuff in Europe with my buddy Rob, and then uh, Inside Out Music, which is uh, mm-hmm. part of Sony and Century sure. Media. Uh, the president of Inside Out and founder, a guy named Thomas, um, asked me to come over to, to Los Angeles <clears throat> and uh, be A and R for and product management for uh, for Inside Out. So I, I, that's how I got to LA kind of just in good faith was like, you know what, it's the next chapter of my life. And, um, and then that first year I put on these 20th anniversary shows for inside out and the label was their, their anniversary. And, and then the next year I did a thing called progressive nation at sea, which was the biggest like ever prog rock cruise. It's like all these huge names and artists. And uh, I helped put that together with Mike Portnoy and I pulled in the sponsors for it. And I thought it was a huge success, but we, we apparently didn't sell enough cabins for it to have a second year. It was a bummer to the whole community, but um, that, that was, that was a big one. Was Mike solo at that point or was he in dream theater still? Uh, he, he was out. No, he was, was solo. Out, he was working with avenged and, and doing all that stuff. Yeah. He was uh, yeah, between that and like Neil Morris band and flower Kings mm-hmm. and transatlantic. And uh, he had, he was wearing a lot of hats, but you know, I was working with like Adrian Ballou and oh my uh, God. I was, I was managing big elf. If you remember those guys, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I was managing them and um, and a band called Jolly, another cool prog rock band. Yeah. So, so I was deeply entrenched in that world. And then around around 2015, I decided to get out of that world again. Once again, I hit that roof where I realized this only goes so far. I I know everybody in the scene. I know where all this goes, and I I don't feel challenged enough. It was for me again that curiosity and that drive to want to do something new. Yeah, totally. And so you know, with your need and ability, well, not ability, but need to do something different, do something new to be ever, you know, ever challenging yourself. Is that a big thing for you when you're working on your career and professionally, like there has to be a challenge of some sort where you can take it to the next level and see that fruition or success inside that goal, essentially? 100%. I'm very much an entrepreneur at my core. So even when I've worked at companies if it's not set up in a way that I feel like I'm running my own company yes. or that I'm building my own thing within the company and that the sky is the limit, if it yep. doesn't feel that way, I am not interested. Yeah. I'm just not interested. Uh, if I, if I know that I've gotten to the top of the food chain somewhere and there's no going anywhere or that the technology of that company can't grow or the ethos of that company has hit its hit its peak and they don't want to expand beyond that mindset uh, those things are going to disinterest me, but um, but a lot of people that's a good place for them. But for me, I I've just never been okay with that. I, I, I want to keep going. Yeah, and I'm the same way. It's like I almost I almost tell my friends, it's like, don't you want to just like get a 401k and and be and like look, I I my day job is as a res- registered you know investment advisor. Mm. I work with musicians to help them save their money, and some of my clients are pretty 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 famous. Yeah, and you know. I like it when it's a little fucked up and scary, you know, like, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think that's where you, I think that's where you lean and you're at your, sometimes at your best. 
um, is when you have that challenge of like, look, if I don't make this work, it doesn't succeed. You can't, you know, I like it. I like it. I don't yeah. like being in a situation. Hey, we all showed up, right? Yeah. No, we're here <laughs> to win. You know, we're here to win at the end of the day. Well, yeah. It's also, I'm used to being in survival mode. If you're in a yes. band, if you're in a band for 10 years, yes. you, are, you are hardwired to be in survival mode. Yes. And every day is this like new adventure. How am I going to figure this out? How am I going to eat? What's the next gig? What's the next payday? And then also, what's the what's the next opportunity that might make us the biggest band in the world? How yeah. can I create that? Because if you don't wake up with that every day, you're gonna fail. And so yeah. for ten years almost, I woke up with that every day. That, that like go go go. And so that yeah. that's just that's in me now. It's ingrained. Yeah, no. And the thing is, is like I went from I've never you know, I've never had a real job. I've always worked for myself. Mm, yeah, you know whether it was owning a recording studio or being a tour manager and sound guy or, you know, I was, it was, I, I was always offering a service based upon my merits or my skills or talents. Yep. Creating your own value and creating letting, your own value and giving it back to whoever. And to me, it, it worked out great for me. I mean, I saw the world I've worked with some of the biggest stars and got me a Grammy nom. But yeah. the thing is, is like, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like you have this whole generation now of artists that don't, either have that value or it's just not the same deal anymore. How are you seeing the industry kind of change for artists? And like, you know, you have like, because, you know, in our day, let's just say not to sound like, mm -hmm. men, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, Billie Eilish did her albums in her brother's bedroom. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we're seeing more and more of that just, and that's just a sign of the times, which is great. Whereas I used to have to go to the physically go to the studio and record. I didn't yeah. have a computer in front of me at my desk where I could just plug in and here we go. I wish we did, but. Um, yeah, uh, it's, it's a question I often get and it's, it's very complex and hard to answer, uh, but I'll do my best to give a couple things that stand out to me about, about sure. what's happening. I mean, one is I think there's a lot of noise now because mm -hmm. anybody can make music. Yes. Um, and because you can make music at your house and because your best friend makes music and your mechanic makes music and the person back in your groceries makes music, um, is putting out an album at the same time you are. Um, it, it <clears throat> it's made people very lazy. And, yes. I, and I say that for one reason, it's, it's, you don't have to go the extra mile to write a great song. All you have to do is create a soundscape that sounds cool and it sounds akin to what's popular and you settle. Yep. I see this all the time. People just, they see what's cool and they, they figure out on YouTube how to make something that sounds kind of like that. Too many tutorials. Out, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah they, they, yeah. they figure out the fucking tech specs of like, Oh, okay. If I download GarageBand and I put this plug in and I buy this microphone, and I do this in three months, I'm going to have an album that sounds like Billy Eilish's record. And to be fair, it's, it's true. It's doable. It's, it's not as good as Billy but it's not far off a lot of times, yeah. you know, and, and, and you're like, holy shit. And, and to me, that's a really sad thing because people have gotten really lazy now, not to say all have, there's still incredible artists who go the extra sure. mile, like, like Billy and her brother who didn't just settle for like, okay, this is pretty good. Like they worked at their craft. They've been singing and playing since they were children with their parents. And like, yeah. they, they have such a, such a cool pedigree, but I really think this generation has hurt from, from, from two things. One is they're lazy and they learn how to do everything on their computer. And they think that's just good enough. They don't yep. go the extra mile. It's just good enough. And the second is they don't know what it's like to test their music in front of audiences. Now here's oh. the, here's the comparison I give. Yeah. Imagine 
a world of comedians that only tried their material out online. They never actually stood in front of an audience. Can you imagine what type of world we would have if every comedian right now that was coming up had only ever tried their material via Spotify or via TikTok? They never stood in front of a crowd at the comedy store. How terrible would their comedy be? It would be absolutely terrible. You have to bomb to get good. You have to have hours of yeah. having those hard stares of people being like, what the fuck? That's not funny. You need I, to get better. I recently went through this with somebody um, who wanted me to really like their stuff. And I just said, no, it's not good enough. <laughs> what do you mean? No, it's not good enough. And, you know, I think we're, we're raising a generation of musicians where they think it's okay because you don't agree with them. They can curse you, curse you out. Right. And, right. and the thing is, is that, you know, for me, I have no dog in that fight, nor do you, when you give your opinion, it's more so, Hey man, I see you're trying to work hard at this. Can I help you be better? Mm, mm. I, you know, ultimately constructive criticism uh, is highly valued from people who want it and people who want to be uh, in the business for a long time. I, the people who get their feelings hurt and they feel entitled to a good review every yes. time um, I've met a million of them. And every yeah. time I come across those people, they stand in their own way from the second you meet them. And they they're on this path to prove you wrong, to let you know that you're wrong about how good they are. Oh yeah. And, yeah. And, those, are, and, those are fun. <laughs> Right. And ultimately, I never hear from those people again. And, and they end up disappearing into the ethers. It's always the ones who are like, oh, you don't like it. OK, what can I work on? What can I fix? Uh, I remember talking to this kid named Alec Benjamin. So I don't know that name. He, he's now absolutely crushing it. I forget what label he's with. I think it's Warner. I think Aton signed him. But okay. he, he came to me in 2015, 2016 or so. And um, I was managing a, a boy band called Emblem 3 which is a whole other story. So, so I got out of the prog rock scene and I transitioned into the boy band scene, which is, there's absolutely no rhyme or reason there. There's no gap. Um, yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> I'm managing a 15 year old pop star. So right. you, you know him, I know him, you know, yeah. it makes no sense. I mean, I really, <laughs> I really love Slayer. Like it makes right. no sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, talent is talent. So, so know, agreed. This, yeah. So this kid reaches out to me, cold call. I don't know who he is. He's like, Hey man, my name's Alec Benjamin. And I really want to open for your band on three. And I said, look, I, I don't think you're there yet. We already have an opener for this tour, but you know, keep in touch. He's like, can I send you some music and get some feedback? And I said, how old are you? He's like, Oh, I'm, I'm whatever. I'm 16, 17. I said, yeah. And he sent me music. And I was like, I like this song. It's really, really good. The rest of it. I don't think it's there. And he's like, oh, okay, great. He's like, I'll work on it. And he kept sending me demos. I was like, this kid's really cool. But you see, that's, that's, that's the pivoted change of like the difference of someone who's, who's in this, for making this a business and career versus I need to feel good about myself. 100%. And, and, and he also, he was a pest and I'll, I'll hand it to him. This kid pested. He was such a pest. He kept calling, kept emailing, asking for advice, asking if he'd get on their tours. And eventually what happened was I took one, sent me and I shared it on Facebook and I said, cause I fell in love with this one song and I said, yeah, yeah. Hey, I need some feedback. And most of my friends who were into the style of music I was into railed it. They were like, we don't like his voice. He sucks. I don't like this kid. Oh, this is such teenage angst crap. Like his voice is auto-tuned <laughs> and they railed into it. And I had a moment where I went, they don't get it. Actually, they don't get how talented this kid is. So I ended up giving him a shot and I brought him out on tour with one of my artists and I shit you not, Mike, we were three or four shows into the tour 
And he started to draw more people than my band, my artist, the headliner. And the audience was singing back every word of his set as the opening artist. Yikes. And he he became the headliner. I saw it happen in real time. We hear this story all the time, but yeah. he became the headliner as the opener. And and my artist was like, I want him off the tour. Like they felt threatened. They're like, get him off. Yeah, that's always the interesting one is like when you go, oh, we really love this band. Let's take him out on the road with us. And then then the tables turn where it's like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't have hired our replacement. You know? <laughs> yeah, Linda Linda Perry just told me that story. I had her on the on my podcast and. She said she went out with a uh, big head t- Todd and the monsters in the nineties. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Early nineties. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Four non blondes went out and that was their first yeah. opening slot. And she said about halfway through the tour, everybody was there because their song was blown up at radio yeah. and big head Todd, as soon as four non blondes got off stage, the place would empty out and they came to her. They're like, really, we love you. You're amazing, but you got to get the fuck off the tour. Yeah. Like, you're killing, you're killing our fan base. Yeah. It, it's interesting. It's like I, around that time, say, you know, early to middle to late 90s. I mean, you had this system at radio that was very interesting. Like when I toured with Marcy for the short period I did, um, you know, we would go do these like Christmas radio shows and, yeah. you know, Cotton Club being one of them, like we talked about earlier. And, you know, it was that, that Cotton Club show was a headline show. I remember that vividly because I ended up doing front of house. And we would go play these shows with like Seven Mary Three and Our Lady Peace and Letters to Cleo. And like uh-huh. we were taking more spins at radio than they were. And they were singing, everyone was singing along to Sex and Candy and not giving a fuck about Starseed. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's like, and you know, nothing against those other bands. They're all amazing bands. Like I love Letters to Cleo. I love Our Lady Peace. I love, you know, and, and you know, Blink 180. We played Days of the New was one of them too at the same time. We talked uh-huh. about that as well. Um, but you know, but you you see that change. I think like you know, I wish that artist would strive more for that. Like, I'm gonna be the replacement to this person. Right. And like, to your point of, you know, I'm just I'm just gonna do enough to get by. It's like we've made a lazy, a lazy generation of musicians, it almost seems. Yeah, well, it's the ones that rise above, though. And and so I'm in this position now where I'm lucky enough to have for the past five, six years be working in this space with extremely young artists and people who are making their music uh coupled with technology and using platforms like TikTok and SoundCloud and Instagram to 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 basically distribute their music and get it out to people and discover it. And What's interesting about it is it still hasn't changed. Uh, there's a ton of these people that are successful very quickly and they, they're a star that goes up and then it bursts, right? They're like right. a rocket ship that goes up and then, poof. but nothing has changed in the sense that I can always spot and recognize this, the, the artist that's going to stick around, regardless of if they're making their music on GarageBand or TikTok or sure. SoundCloud, it doesn't matter. I can still spot them, whether they're 14 or they're 40. I can see like, oh, that, that one, that one's going to go for a long, long, long time. And, and so, then, you know, that is reassuring that no matter what, what technology is coming in or how big somebody seems right now, you can always spot the ones that are going to stick around. Yeah. You can, you can, you know, the work ethic coupled with their, their curiosity coupled with their actual talent. Um, it always matches up. It always yeah. does. Yeah. It's amazing how that, how that works. It's, it's just, you know, it's gonna be very interesting to see what the future holds. You know, I look yeah, at Jay yeah. and, and and stuff like that. What we got going on is just, you know, I'm really proud of it. One, two is, is I feel really good that we're we're going in the right direction with it. And 
you know, with that said, let's kind of talk about the next thing you got going on in your life. Um, the podcast. Oh, what, right. What, what made you jump in that water? Uh, <laughs> a lot of people have been asking me to do a podcast or something similar, or even my God, I've, I've been asked to do like my own show and things like that. And I just, I don't know, I guess I procrastinated for years. So, um, quarantine, quarantine gave me the, it gave me the, the excuse Guilty. I needed. Yeah. It gave me the excuse <laughs> I needed to be like, I'm just sitting at home every day. I'm not sitting in my car anymore to go into meetings. You know, what do I, what's stopping me from creating this? And so I, yeah, started my own podcast called no shortcuts, which is, you know, speaks exactly to, you know, exactly what we're talking about today, that there are no shortcuts to long-term success um, and sustained success in the music industry. There, you can easily have a moment. Everybody's going to have their 15 minutes of some sort, but that's not a shortcut in itself. That's just the beginning, right? That's, that's literally just the beginning of it all. Um, and if you want to hold it, there's a, it's a long road. It's the long play. It always is the long play. And um, the podcast is talking to people about their, their road and, and really trying to inspire the, you know, others by their stories. Cause you always hear about the success, you know, when you watch like uh, documentaries or behind the music, you, you hear about some of the tragedy and failures, but you don't really hear about all the hard work. It's usually like, I got a record deal and then we run a Grammy and then I bought this house and then this happened. And then I got a divorce. And then you hear about the spiral down. Yeah. You don't really hear about like, cause every, everyone loves a Greek tragedy. Yeah. Right. Right. But how did you actually get to that place where you got the record deal and you first, you made your first million dollars and you did like, that's the hard work. That's like the 10, 15 years leading up. That's yeah. brutal. It's amazing how people think, Oh, well, I got a deal now. Oh, it's easy time and time again, if you're in the industry and I'm sure you've heard this too, the hard work, you know, from artists, they're like, Oh, the hard work wasn't when we weren't signed. The hard work was when we were signed because now you're fighting to stay where you're at. And you're fighting artists that are actually quality for the first time in your life. Yep. When you're not in a label situation, you're fighting against all the, all the artists in the world, including the big ones, but mostly your peers are all unsigned too. And it's easy to rise above some of those artists. But once you're in a label system and you realize on release day or release week that you're up against, you know, Oh shit, this week, the new five sauce record, the new Ariana Grande record, um, the new blah, blah, blah record. They're all coming out this week. Mm -hmm. I, and I'm one of those artists in that system holy shit, I better step my game up. Yep. Well, I better have my shit together. Yeah, yep. no, 100%. And I think the thing is, is that there's there's this major misnomer amongst artists of, oh, I'm just going to put it up on Spotify and everyone's going to love me. <laughs> good good yeah. luck. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, we've all seen the moment where somebody uploads something and, and two weeks later, it's got 10 million plays and good for them. But that's not how it works. Most of the time, that's a, that's a lottery ticket and that's not a business plan. It's a lottery ticket, but I think also too, it's also good strategy. Let's t touch on that for one second. Mm -hmm. You, in your opinion now, um, and I kind of know the answer to this, but I want our audience to hear this. Do you think artists are majorly under strategized when they go out to all the major DSPs, um, you know, say SoundCloud, say, D uh, say Spotify, Apple iTunes, or Apple is now Apple music. Um, uh -huh. Is it an under strategized situation where they are not working to the best of their ability with everything else that kind of comes with, you know, kind of the promotion lexicon these days? Yeah. I mean, you cannot be every place at the same time and you cannot do it all. I, I, I tell every artist that you have to choose your battles, pick your wars. Mm -hmm. um, 
there's so many platforms. You've got to find the one that suits you the best or the couple that suits you the best. Um, and then make most of your content for that platform and then mirror it on the other ones. So if you find that you're most comfortable at home when you're making TikToks, make TikTok your home and then mirror that content on other platforms and, and distribute it out from there, right? Gotcha. Um, TikTok's the biggest platform in the world for discovery. Anybody who says it's not, it's just not understanding what's going on. I mean, at the moment, it's putting everybody to shame. The, yeah. TikTok is, if, if you're not getting discovered on TikTok, you're, you're basically missing out. You know, every type of music is blowing up on there, including country music, bluegrass, hip hop, metal. It's all going viral on TikTok. It is not just a pop phenomenon or hip hop phenomenon or dance only phenomenon. And when people say that, that's a cop out. It's like, no, it's not. You don't have to have a dance made to your song for it to go viral. The, everything's available. It's all happening there, right? So um, I say to artists, find the thing that makes you comfortable, start making the content there, and then build from there. You know, draw your fan base to one area. But there is no one strategy that's really going to work right now. Like, oh, hey, if I do X, Y, and Z on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud, TikTok, I can get to this place. Like, no, like it all starts with having a great song that's going to connect with an audience that you truly believe in that represents you as an artist. And then you've got to create content that mirrors that. If your visual aspect, aspect about you doesn't mirror the song, it's going to be hard. It's not going to catch as easy. Um, uh, it's, it's so difficult to say, but there is no, uh, there is no template, but you got to be consistent and you got to create stuff that's going to resonate with your audience, not other people. And, oh, that's, that's something I want to say is everybody makes the mistake of trying to appeal to everybody. That's a massive mistake Everything to everyone. Yeah. I, I always tell artists split the room and people, I get a lot of heat for this. I'm like, split the room, make something that you absolutely love, but that you know that half the people you play it for are going to fucking probably hate it. And and the other half are going to yeah. fall in love with it because yeah. then you're on to something. If you're trying to make something you think everybody's going to love and it's going to offend, it's going to offend nobody. What you're doing is by not offending anybody, you're also not inciting excitement in anybody either. You're also not being true to yourself. I think <clears throat> also as an artist and it doesn't come, it doesn't, I, I mean, I think we're, I think that the curtain's been blown past the wizard now. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? There's no, Majesty, no you know, mystery, no majesty. And the thing is, is that like when I was a kid, you know, going to the studio was like a privilege. It was like, you yeah. had to pay a lot of money to be there and you had to know your shit and you had to play. There wasn't pro tools. When I started, I was recording yep. on two inch tape, you know, and it, it, it is, is the thing is, is that when you are that, when, when the cover is so blown on you or kind of the industry, I think you have to kind of, lead with your best foot and not it isn't all about hiding what who you are right i mean oh. at the end of the day yeah uh, the best marketing strategy any artist can have is be more of yourself sure right like if you're the kind of person that if you literally have an obsession with donuts and anime in your personal life and that's really who you are so funny you say that but okay you know what i mean like and and your friends know that about you and your family yeah. knows that but your music strategy is to look like you're like this skinny person who like is on a vegan diet and you're like super into like pop culture. It's like, that's, that's don't do that. Absolutely. Don't do that. You should be like, go out there and be like, actually here are the donuts I like the most. 
Here's my favorite anime character. And here's how weird I get. Here's how fucking weird I get. And I want to show everybody how weird I get because I love it. And I want you to love it too. And that's the marketing strategy because guess what? There are, there are literally millions of people. They're going to tune into that and they're going to be like, see, I'm not weird. Somebody else likes this too. It's really, and then you have the people that, yeah, then you have people who actually care about what you're doing and you just keep giving them more of it. The whole idea of like coming up with a, a look and coming up with a, um, a marketing strategy for your, for your visual. And it's like, that's, that's, I think that's a bad move. <laughs> that's all yeah. I can say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the, you know, the thing is, is, you know, you know, EJ as well. I mean, yep. everybody wanted to make him in the early times of just like this or that. And I just said, fuck it. I said, let's do skateboarder kid who plays guitar, who sings and let's roll with that. Yeah. And to me, it's worked out to our advantage because we just grab so much more traction that way because people can relate to him. And it's easy for him to lean into it. Yeah, he, exactly. He doesn't, he doesn't have to think about what he's going to say or do next. All he has to do is just be himself. And, and here's the fun thing. Once he gets rewarded for being himself, once he starts seeing people that are like, I love that you're you, he'll get more confident in being himself and he'll show more of it. And it's only going to snowball from there. Yeah. And that's, that's a good rewarding system. It's a two-way street. Yeah, definitely. Um, what else you got going on, man? I, I don't want to take all your time up today, but I definitely want to want to let you uh, promote whatever you got going on in these last five or 10 minutes. Oh, man. Um, well, I will say definitely check out what we're doing over at SoundCloud. Um, we're, we're doing our best to do things and build interesting things for artists that that can help shape and change the industry for the better. Um, which is what I love about the company and why I really enjoy working there. Um, so keep an eye out there. And then I think the other thing is um, I've been working with an artist now for a couple of years named Pouty Face. Okay. She's got a, a release coming out. I'm really excited about her. I think she is uh, the kind of artist that can can make make some change and do some damage in the music industry. A, a very dangerous artist, if you will. Uh, awesome. So, yeah, really excited about her. Check out Pouty Face. Um, and I think that's that's really it. I think, uh, you know, th- that's the stuff I'm working on. I wish I could say more about the details of what I'm working on at SoundCloud. But if anything, just keep an eye on the news. I've, I've, and- seen, I've seen the press releases and stuff. And, I abs- and you know, I don't know if we can talk. I know we can't talk about it. But I absolutely applaud the moves you guys are making as far as the payouts and stuff like that. So just really. I- thanks, man. Well, Thank thanks. You. Yeah, well, we, we have some really, really uh, genius people and, and some very uh, driven people well, inside the company that have yeah. a vision. So, Well, it also so shows that you guys are of value to what your customer base is, I feel. So that's amazing. Yeah, the tides are changing in the music industry. And if yeah. somebody doesn't start making those hard decisions and making those moves, nobody's going to do it. So, yep. uh, you know, I think SoundCloud's always been that company. It's like, you know, champion the music first. Yeah, definitely. So got to start there. But... Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Absolute pleasure. And we'll have you on again at some point, man. But uh, thanks for supporting. And thanks for being our first episode, our flagship episode. So Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully hopefully I don't scare everybody away on the first go. (laughs) No, No, it's great advice, man. And we really appreciate you. Thanks so much, Edgel. Yeah, likewise. See you soon. Speak soon.